Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, Interim Chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the President and CEO of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. Hi, Bill. Welcome back. Hey, Bobby. As always, it's great to see you. Yeah, you too. You've been traveling a lot, I know. That's right. Yeah, it's a really interesting time for me personally, and I think for all of us in diagnostics, because I've been traveling a lot in my new role as a CEO of Mayo Collaborative Services, going out there and seeing what's happening in the world with diagnostics. I've been in Asia a couple of times here this year, and most recently now, I was invited to a conference on automation and healthcare, which was held in Zurich, Switzerland, and then also had a chance to visit Northern Italy as well to visit with a company there that's more focused on histology and the analytical histology processing. So an interesting time. All these companies are very, very busy. I've spent time with Roche leadership as well when I was in Zurich. And there's a great sense of energy coming out of the pandemic from a variety of different factors, some which I anticipated and some which I didn't. Interesting. Yeah, I would love to go to some of these places you've been going and having these discussions. Since you're with us, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you've been hearing from the lab diagnostics world? Sure, I'd love to. So it's the first thing that's very interesting is that if there are people that are listening and feel like, man, the pandemic, I was so busy and now I'm busier than ever. You're not alone. Pretty much everyone that's in diagnostics feels that way. So when you spend time with the diagnostic manufacturing companies, of course, they were very busy and focused during COVID. And now they're coming out of a post-COVID world where many of them have increased their installations across the globe of their equipment, but yet they're seeing revenues fall, just like we've seen revenues fall in many clinical laboratories because there's not COVID testing. Manufacturers are experiencing the same thing. So this is kind of, it's almost like there's post-tsunami if COVID testing was a tsunami that hit diagnostics across the board, now kind of post-tsunami, how do we organize ourselves? And I know, you know, you and your leadership role in DLMP are going through the same sorts of things, kind of how do we kind of pick ourselves up and go forward from this? The other thing, which is, I think I didn't anticipate was just that, and I don't know if anyone did, and that is the introduction of these large language models and acceleration of two things. Number one, the AI, like large language models, which have a huge impact on how we think about testing and how we even think about the identification of other things, which I can touch on one of the real interesting companies I saw. And then also the whole concept around platform models, you know, that people, because they were working remotely, thinking about Amazon as a, as a platform, there's been a lot of these companies now that have been introduced from in, into healthcare. And it's, you know, both with virtual care, provision of care supply chain around healthcare. So there's a lot there as well. As a tangible example, since I had the teaser on the, on the large language model, of course, being in Europe, privacy, huge, the GDPR, very stringent privacy laws. It brings up the question for patient videos. How do you de-identify patient videos, right? How, if you have a, some kind of video and there are now technologies out there that use large language model type of processing to actually create virtual masks for patients. They're changed enough that you couldn't identify them, but you, you would still hone in as a healthcare professional on certain attributes that would be important. So there's just all kinds of things that you just never thought of were going to be in healthcare that all of a sudden are blossoming, if you will. 
Yeah, blossoming, accelerating. Those are great terms because that's what's happening. And I'm actually looking into generative AI and large language models as well. In my role with the College of American Pathologists, I'm leading a project team looking to see how generative AI can provide opportunities and challenges and some important ethical concerns in our field of laboratory medicine. And it was interesting, you know, we all know about chat GPT, but generative AI means you are generating things that are not real. I mean, it's like, it's something that you are generating novel text or novel images. Those novel images could be pathology images, yep. just the histopathology slides. So all of those aspects are really important. You could take a picture and upload it to a large language model and say, what is this? And it can in the future, be able to tell you. In fact, I played around with this the other night at dinner. I took a picture of my Diet Coke and I said, what is this to chat GPT? And it said, it's a beverage, dark brown color. It looks like it's carbonated. It probably is some type of cola. Wow. Yes. Now I try to do that with a picture of a person and it says I cannot do that because chat GPT has installed a filter so it will not identify people. We're going to need to think about that as we apply it to medicine, because, well, in medicine, you might actually want to be able to identify a person, at least for an internal use. But at the same time, you need to protect data if you're going to be, say, de-identifying it for research. Yeah, no, it's, it's it opens up a whole new vista, how we think about it. the fact that these applied images, that's why the, even the facial recognition one, you know, we think of large language models, we think of language, but the reality is for a computer, an image is just another yeah. form of language, right? So it is going to be very interesting in terms of automating the work that we do as well. Just look at how the medical literature has exploded from where, like, I, I can't remember the statistics, but the amount of information that's published annually in the medical literature, I think when you and I trained or when I trained in the 80s, it was probably, it took at least a decade to get the amount of information that comes out every year in the medical literature now and just surpass our ability to interrogate it so these could be great tools, but again, it introduces a whole nother variable of black box and what's the role of software and healthcare, because it ultimately it sounds great, but it is software, right? It's computational. So it's an interesting time. The other piece of things, of course, is to go out and just look at all the work that's being done now and just automating lab processes, right? And thinking about just actual physical automation and the major investments that are happening there so we can do things at scale. You know, I've talked about that before, but you start putting these programming attributes with robotics and all of a sudden you can really see where even laboratory workflows could really be transformed. Yeah, there's so many transformative technologies. And so we talked about some already. So generative AI, huge change and implications, automation, we didn't talk about next generation sequencing, but clearly that has implications for genome, microbiome, there's going to be the proteome. But what are some of the other things, Bill, that you've been seeing? Like what other big takeaways do you have for us or things that we should keep an eye on? The big thing is that, honestly, it can be bewildering. There's so many different technologies that are out there and there's so much that's happening and so many new parties that are interested in doing things and things that could be really helpful. One of the other technologies I saw was developed in Finland by a company called Metacube to a little cubicle. And it basically does a whole pre-appointment physical examination for you as a patient and helps triage things and has interactions, right? So there's all, you start thinking about what if there's a specimen drawn there? What about biometrics, you know, for heart rate, which it has in there and some other things. 
technologies are going to change more rapidly than any of us, at least some of my vintages used to. But we still have to be really focused on what patients and providers need of the information that's created. I mean, that's really at the heart of our profession, right? So to not be overwhelmed or bewildered or intimidated by the technology and really keep a focus on what's our role in the clinical diagnostic laboratory and synthesizing and presenting information back to patients and providers in a meaningful way. The tool set will continue to expand, but the need for us to continue to participate is gonna be actually probably more important now than ever. Yeah, that's always important with any new tool. You don't take the tool and then try to apply it to something. You have a problem you wanna solve and then you ask what tools you need. And we as laboratory professionals are the ones that have to oversee that. Actually, the CAP just published an ethics document for artificial intelligence that will be available soon, talking about the role of laboratory leaders and pathologists in overseeing some of these artificial intelligence algorithms. And what our role is, we may not be able to code them ourselves, but we need to understand how they were formulated, make sure that there's no ethnicity or any other factors that got pulled in that are gonna skew or bias the data. And that's our role. That is our responsibility to understand how algorithms are formed and how they are producing data. Yeah, no, that that's a great point, you know, is that that is one of the biggest concerns. It goes back to when Twitter, now X, had the Twitter bot, the persona was a young woman that was responding. And it started using this and it started to pull from different data and started to say some pretty horrible stuff. I mean, so it's, and that's an extreme example, but it's true. The challenge is that there's going to be biases. You know, we're going to be prone to trust these things because they're so advanced and elegant. But the reality is that we have to really watch out for biases and other things. And so, yeah, we just have to really stay focused on a role because I think it becomes more important now than ever. And the last thing I'll say is that there's all this is happening in our profession. And on the backdrop of that, there's a lot of uncertainty globally as well as we come out of COVID. I mean, there's a lot of focus on China, what's happening in China, because many of the diagnostic manufacturing companies have major presence there. There's now, of course, all of the unfortunate stuff in the Middle East. We just live in a time of great unrest, which means we have to also be focused on some of the important issues around equity and access and, and other things, which really the pandemic shone a bright light on. And I think we're still dealing with the after effects of that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Equity, access, and of course, our driving principle, which is the needs of the patients come first. That's and right. That is our job as laboratory leaders. What we produce in our laboratories provides the foundation for all medicine. Yeah, and that's right. So we need to continue to have that seat at the table and drive things forward with all these exciting technologies, make sure they're being used in the way they should be. Agreed 100%. And I think that's, you know, me and my new role, it's more important than ever that anyone that's participating in the diagnostics industry or in, in working in the lab keeps the needs of the patient at the center of everything that they do. You know, even if you're one or two, we think about one step removed, I'm almost two step removes. Almost the, the bigger steps you take, the more you have to keep that as your horizon point and your kind of your central axis. So, well, thank you, Bill, for all the updates, exciting times and tumultuous times. So, we'll keep talking about what is going on and keeping everyone informed. That's right. That's the upside. It gives us plenty to talk about. That's for Absolutely. sure. All right. Till next time. I'll see you later. Sounds good. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday. <laughs>